0: Welcome to the Sexually Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, sexual health educator and coach, Shannon Hamaker. I've dedicated my time to learn from sex experts and hear success stories. See what I did there? From real people like yourself that have tangible tools and insight on how you can create the relationship that you truly desire. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Oh, today our guest. I'm so excited. Timing is everything and the amusing thing is I missed our first call to be able to do this podcast episode and shortly thereafter there've been just little signs dropped in my lap of hey, maybe you should check this out. Maybe you should get more information on ADD. And so here I am with Linda Rogley who let me just tell you about all the things she has going on and how wonderful she is and all the things she's giving to the world. So Linda Rogley is a professional certified coach. She's an award-winning author and founder of AD Diva Network for ADHD Women 40 and Better. 40 and better, just got goosebumps. She's recognized internationally as an expert in midlife and senior ADHD. She creates the ADHD Palooza series, which is now including women, parents, and couples. She regularly hosts workshops, organizing groups, and retreats for ADHD women. She also has a book called AD Diva Midlife in the nonlinear lane, and it won a prize for women's issues in the prestigious Next Generation Indie Book Awards. Linda, thank you so much for being here. I cannot wait to dig into all of this.
1: I'm so excited to be here. And I'm so grateful that you forgot our appointment because then it lets me off the hook. Because if I forgot the appointment, then I would feel terrible. <laughs> so we're in the same boat. And I just love this camaraderie, I'm instant, instant yes. sisterhood.
0: Yes, most definitely. Trying to get that message out there that we just need to be. And we just need to be authentic, be ourselves, and figure out this thing together as a community and not do it alone, right? That's why I love getting this information out to people. So ADD, you know, this is something that in my experience and in my history growing up, I didn't hear much about it. I'm a Gen Xer. I, I'm 47 next month, and I'm starting to see more things on Facebook like perimenopause and ADD, ADD groups and women over 40 ADD. And, ADD in couples and relationships, and you're covering all of these topics. So how did you, like, what's your story? How did this roll out for you?
1: I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was about your age, actually. And I hate to tell you how many years ago that was, so I won't tell you how many more years that was. I felt like there was, I was having those little hot flushes, right? And little blushes in the face and that kind of stuff. And, oh no, I don't want to think about this. But When I finally was diagnosed, when we were in couples therapy, my husband and I were in couples therapy and I went by myself for some reason, I don't know why, but the guy, I was just talk, 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 talk. And he finally just looked at me and said, did you ever consider that you might have ADHD? And I'm like, I literally laughed in his face. And then I realized he wasn't laughing with me. And he, he kind of pulled back a little bit and said, Oh, oh, no problem. No problem. You don't necessarily, you don't necessarily have it. Just go to the bookstore and pull out the book, Driven to Distraction. And I found out later it's written by doctors Ned Hallowell and, Oh. John Rady, sorry, I almost forgot his name. And I went I then I didn't go to Kindle because it was before Kindle. I raced to Barnes and Noble and I went to the self-help section because I thought I owned every self-help book that was on the shelf, but I couldn't find that one. So I asked for help. I picked it up, sat down on a bench because I wasn't going to stay very long. Started flipping through it and started reading the description of ADHD. He had a hundred questions in there about ADHD. And all of a sudden I went, oh, I have to have this book. And I raced to the checkout line. It was evening. It was in an, it was November, just like it is right now. And it was dark early. So it was dark when I got in the car. And I'm reading it under the sodium lights in the parking lot. I'm reading it at the stoplights on the way home trying to read. <laughs> and I'm a fast reader. I'm like a lot of folks with ADHD. I really read quickly. But it took me about three days to get through this book, which is unusual. And I and I cried. And I was like, oh my God, this is me. And then there were other parts of it that I thought, no, this is not me. I've not been fired from jobs. I have the white picket fence, the equivalent of the white picket fence. It's probably not me. And then I thought, maybe. It is. So anyway, bottom line was, he sent me to a local person a psychiatrist who actually worked with adults and that was even rare when I was diagnosed most and still the emphasis is on children with ADHD and lots of people still think because that's what I thought I thought it's only little boys and it's only little boys who are rambunctious and jump up around and make you know commotion in the classroom and then I realized that it manifests differently for ADHD women and it manifests differently at perimenopause and menopause as well that's why I decided to specialize in it. So back to the, the diagnosis, it actually took three times for me to be really to believe that I was actually ADHD because there were so many contradictions. And that is because. I know you've heard this old hackneyed phrase before, but I'm going to apply it to ADHD. If you've met one person with ADHD, you've only met one person with ADHD because we all manifest it so differently. Now there's some commonalities. There's always running late, forgetting appointments, you know, having some memory issues, being distracted, disorganized. There's some There are some commonalities, but the way those manifest, like for instance, a lot of folks with ADHD have trouble paying attention. And one of the reasons is because This part right behind your forehead, that's called the prefrontal cortex. I hate to be minimalist with you guys, but I just, I know you know that, but I just wanted to share it with you. Love it. Yeah. And and what's happening is the neurons aren't making great connections. I won't go into all that stuff. Mm -hmm. What helps our our neurons make connections is things that are interesting and dangerous, like jumping out of airplanes. I don't jump out of airplanes. I screech up against deadlines and that keeps me going and I get stuff done. That's how I finished my book. So anyway, I forgot why I was saying that, that, but the point point is is that some people with ADHD work as ER physicians and nurses and technicians, all that stuff, Mm -hmm. because it's really high stress and unpredictable. Other Mm -hmm. people with ADHD are accountants. They like those straight little numbers and nice straight lines and all that Mm -hmm. stuff because their life, that feels like control for them. Their may, life may be chaotic in other ways. So the whole point is that we are very, very different. And last thing I want to say before I take a breath and let you speak, <laughs> and that is that if you are in or you suspect you are. And, you're, and that can start sometimes even as early as 35, but generally in that 40 to 50 range, you're starting to have a little bit more estrogen swing up and down. Even if you are in that situation and you are beginning to feel like, oh, where is my brain? I can't, you know, I can't think anymore. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have ADHD. It means that you, when estrogen goes away for all of us and that and has huge swings at menopause and then gradually goes down to almost nothing at, at the actual cessation of menses, we all go through that. So brains don't work as well without enough estrogen, mm-hmm. but ADHD brains... If you look back at your history and say, Oh, when I was a kid, my room was always messy. Oh, I was always turning assignments in late. Oh, I would get incompletes when I was in college. Those kind of things. Mm-hmm. That can be a clue that it might be ADHD. And now that I've told you everything I know about ADHD, I'll have to be quiet for the rest of the session. No, you don't.
0: I'll just sit here and take it all in because I want to hear more. I want to hear about the superpowers that I keep hearing about as well with ADHD. But you know, to back up for a second, that is a great distinguishing mm-hmm. moment of saying, okay, my past, my history looks like this. And just because you're in the throes of perimenopause, which side note, a lot of women don't realize that there's that decade long you know, okay. space of time of symptoms of changes and transformation and transition and all that stuff. So having grace with yourself and just trying to figure out like, okay, what is this? And Not feeling like the label defines you, but also honoring some of those superpowers that you have. So, Linda, I can already tell that you have a bunch of superpowers just by looking at your website and knowing exactly what you're trying to offer people as far as ADHD and ADD and the retreats and the like community aspect and the information. But how has it shown up in your personal life? Like, what happened with your husband? What does it look like when you're interacting with family?
1: First of all, this is not my second marriage. It's my third marriage, but it's only my second husband. So, I married the first one twice. So, one of the things about ADHD is that we are incredibly tenacious and we have amazing resilience. So, we keep thinking we can make this work. We can make this work. Some people might call that codependency, but. Nonetheless, it could be a little of both, right? That's another podcast for sure. (laughs) There you go. But it could, for me, there are several different, not several, there are two basic types of ADHD. One is the more inattentive version, Mm -hmm. which is what most women are diagnosed with. And that's one reason little girls are often missed because they're quiet in the classroom. They're not causing trouble. They're looking out the window and the, you know, the kind of creamy, dreamy kind of kiddo. But then the report cards come out and you realize, oh, they haven't been paying attention at all. They've been Mm -hmm. looking at the Robins or something out the window. So the inattentive version is much more difficult, but it tends to be the ones that are distractible and have distractibility and also have a lot of issues with organization and those kinds of things. And it's not about if you just try harder, you could pay attention, you could concentrate. It's They literally cannot do it because the brain connections aren't aren't there to do that. Mm -hmm. The other type is hyperactive. And that's what we think about with little boys running around with their desk on their heads and, you know, jumping up and interrupting and all that stuff. So most women are not primarily hyperactive, but if they do have hyperactive tendencies, that when they're little girls, they're chatty cats, they're talking, and they're, you know, budging their neighbors and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Sadly, a lot of ADHD kiddos have trouble making and keeping friends and that's one reason why because if you're inattentive you're spacing out and if you're hyperactive you're intrusive mm. so it's it's really sad situation so a lot of folk a lot of women with ADHD grow up diagnosed with depression before oh. they're diagnosed with ADHD as I was mm-hmm. So my manifestation is what they call a combination. It's a little bit of inattentive and a little bit of hyperactive, which is actually the worst of all worlds, right? <laughs> Any ADHD symptom you got, I, it's like living in, living in me. But the hyperactivity and what you're noticing on the website, that's my go, 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 drive, drive, drive. Mm-hmm. My inattention comes in. I, I can only maintain that for, for a while, a limited time. And then I just have to fall back right. and I have to just recoup because inattentive, inattentive is not the same as being an introvert, but it often is has similar characteristics mm-hmm. where I'm kind of on that in the ENFP, the Myers Briggs. Mm-hmm. I am, I'm, I'm an extrovert, but just barely because I really do need that time to recoup where introverts mm-hmm. need much, much more of that time. There it's difficult for them to put themselves out there. So my hyperactivity when I can go, go, go is what I have all these amazing ideas. And ADHD folks are never short of good ideas. We have a million dollar ideas 10 times a day, maybe more. The issue is executing. Mm-hmm. The issue is following through. So I've been really lucky. I do have a lot of drive. I've done lots of things in my life, which is also typical of ADHD, because I get bored with one job. After five or 10 years, oh, let's do something else. Yeah. Sometimes for people, it's like 18 months. It's like, no, I need to change all the time. But I've had lots of experiences and I've done pretty well at most of them. I do admit I did get fired once. It's the greatest embarrassment of my life. But and it, when I look back, it was because of my ADHD and lack of follow through with a particular client who complained and got me fired. So no, he didn't get me fired. I got me fired. Let me claim it for my. Let me take responsibility for that. But so what I found is that for ADHD folks like me who do have a lot of ambition and do have a lot of drive and really want to help what we need is we need a team of people working with us who are not ADHD. Yes. I am fortunate to have an assistant who's not ADHD, but she can stand me. (laughs) I mean, it takes a certain level of person to be able to tolerate and accept and adore and love a person with ADHD. That's all there is to it. (laughs) It really does.
0: It really does. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, going back for
0: a little conversation about kids, maybe there are women that are listening to this and they're like, Mm, I don't think that really is pinpointing me, but Mm -hmm. with the mental health crisis that's going on with kids, you know, I'm a mental health educator and it's been a part of my journey is that I'm teaching mm -hmm. kids in school a couple days a week and I just love it so much. And I talk about ADD and the more I'm learning about it through my training, I'm like, oh, it's like that step, you know, where I know I need to get diagnosed and and really learn how to support myself better and Mm -hmm. hold myself accountable for that. So not only that, but I have a son and as I've, I've learned, and maybe you can speak to this, that it is genetic sometimes, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Which some mental health challenges are not. So noting that looking at my parents who are both entrepreneurs, they have piles, things, places, they are both, they have both got to be ADD in their own way. And we joke about it. But now looking at my son, who is a freshman in high school, and he's having some challenges, and we just had parent teacher conferences on Friday. And the main theme has been organizational details. And he's very outgoing, loves to talk to the kids, very engaged, not distracted, But when it comes to actually studying and doing the things that he needs to do, putting it together has been tough. So all of that is to say, I'm I'm advocating for him and reaching out to the school psychologist and she's already said, yes, I'd be happy to meet with him. So as a parent, what can we look at for our kids and what does that look like with our kids? And then how can we be good models of parents and making sure we're taking care of ourselves?
1: Mm, Thank you for asking that question. And I will say that you're right. Let's go back to the genetics of all this. Mm -hmm. Um, They've identified, I believe it's 26 different genes on which ADHD characteristics can live. So there is ADHD is more heritable than blonde hair and blue eyes. So it's like 70% 70 to 80% heritable. So if you have if you have a kiddo who's been diagnosed with ADHD, first of all, that may be when you realize that you also have ADHD. Mm-hmm. And, let's, and let me also clear up. I should have said this early on. I want to be clear that some people call this ADD. And remember that it stands for Attention Deficit Disorder, which is a completely terrible name because it's not that we have a deficit of attention. We, have a t- we pay attention to everything. That's one problem is that we can't filter it and we, don't, we can't prioritize it. The official name is ADHD, which includes the hyperactive. Mm-hmm. But there's not two different things here. It's actually ADHD, and then those two subtypes I mentioned: inattentive and hyperactive, and then the combination. Okay. That's version. helpful. Okay, thank you. So it's not wrong. Some people say to me, "Oh, I don't have the H. I just I'm just ADHD. I'm just ADD." But it's all ADHD, at least in the medical jargon. It okay. Is. So let's go back to heritability. As I say, a lot of folks with ADHD figure out that they have it when they have their children diagnosed because, oh, that sounds familiar. I do that too. I do leave my clothes in the, uh, in, you know, in the hallway instead of putting them in the clothes hamper. Or for people like me, I leave them in the washing machine for three days and then I have to wash them again because <laughs> they've melted in the washing machine. But there are lots of things that that will point to that. However, the one way that we can support our kiddos with ADHD is that, first of all, getting diagnosed ourselves, that's really important, being able to model that. Because let's face it, a lot of ADHD kiddos and who grow up to be ADHD adults were in ADHD families and never learned the skills about follow through and about putting your clothes in the hamper and about doing the dishes before they pile up for four or five days, those kinds of things. So when people think about being diagnosed with ADHD, they immediately think of, oh, I have to take that horrible medication. I'm gonna get addicted to amphetamines and all this all these other mostly misunderstandings. I don't disagree with all of that. But there are many, many more things that we need to do besides taking medication. All medication can do, a stimulant at least, can is bring your attention to full full focus, if you will. But it doesn't teach you those skills that you may have missed when you were a kid. So if you're in an ADHD family, and I know many people, sometimes we call them complex kids, it's not just ADHD. Some of them, it's, it's also depression, especially for girls, it can be depression and or anxiety combined with ADHD. It, there's bipolar disorder that also comes along as what I call a sidecar to ADHD. There are tics, there's Tourette's syndrome, there's there are all kinds of things. And autism and being on the autism spectrum is also closely associated with ADHD and sometimes difficult to untangle. So I think for parents, if you are looking at, my kiddo is not doing so well in school, that's a clue right there. Well, if they just would try harder, that is the Emblem and the the most hated phrase in ADHD world. (laughs) We are trying hard. Right, ADHD kids are trying their hearts out, and they are. But often they get so frustrated at not being able to get it like their their friends are or the people in the classroom Mm -hmm. that they begin to give up, and then it looks like lazy. That four letter word that has no place in any childhood's vision at all. So unfortunately, we especially inattentive. Folks, And and boys are also inattentive and they are often missed young when they're younger as well. Let me just say that boys tend to be diagnosed with ADHD younger, especially hyperactive boys as we and girls tend to be not noticed, even if they're hyperactive, even if they're chatty Cathy, it's like, oh, they're just talking to their friends kind of thing. And little inattentive girls are being so quiet. Oh, look how nice she's being. She's being so polite and she's being so quiet. No, she's she's being distracted by the thoughts in her head. That's what's going on. And so is he. So as we get older, though, girls tend to academically do pretty well and uh, more better than boys until about third grade. And about third grade, which coincidentally is kind of when hormones start kicking in, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade for girls, suddenly puberty starts hitting and that estrogen starts making those swings up and down. And that's when a lot of girls are diagnosed with ADHD who have been missed before, whether they're hyperactive or whether they're inattentive. Boys, the curve tends to go a little bit lower for hyperactive boys as they get older, but there are still a lot of boys diagnosed, as you say, in high school and even in college. So if you have a kiddo, anywhere on this range of, as long as they're still living at home, it's really important to treat ADHD as early as possible. That gives your child such a better chance at success in life. So, And I'm sure you know that as an educator, as a mental health educator, it's something that I, I I mean, just say that I work with a lot of women who are like you in their forties and fifties and sixties and seventies. And sometimes I even had a 90 year old once upon a time and They say to me, if only I had known, I could have fill in the blank. And it's tragic because we didn't know in those days. It's not anyone's fault. I was in therapy for years and diagnosed with depression and was on antidepressants and all this stuff, as was my mom, as was my dad. But again, as you mentioned, when I look back, both my parents had ADHD characteristics, as does my brother, But they said, oh, no, you're not going to talk. No, I. that's not me. That's only you. You're the sick one over there, right? You know, you're the one that's all that stuff. My mom, like the women, my mom took antidepressants. I took antidepressants. So the men were like, no, I'm fine. And that's really sad because the stigma about ADHD exists everywhere continually. And as people will say, oh, yeah, it was just an ADHD day. Well, that's really cute. Except if you have ADHD, all of the days are ADHD Mm -hmm. days it really is is tragic because there's so much stigma about all mental health. I see it. And you know, the
0: education system has not changed very much ever since it was created. And I just imagine like, I'm so grateful that you're stepping into this space and speaking out because I'm already like, okay, yes, I'm going to be more proactive and advocate for myself and advocate for these kids that I interact with at schools and advocate for couples to be able to connect better. And I want to talk about that next, but You know, that being said, can you imagine what the world would look like if we step into that space and say, I have ADHD and this is how I need to be supported? I feel like there would be a shift in how we have availability to learn. We would have different, you know, perspectives on how people talk to kids. You know, I'm here in the buckle Mm -hmm. of the Bible Belt in Tennessee. And so some of the teachers that I interact with, I know they're doing the best that they can with what they have and what they've learned but it's so 1950s, 60s, the way that they talk to the kids of settle down or don't be disrespectful. And I'm like, they're, they are fine. They have to sit in a chair seven hours a day. I would not be okay with that either. So, yeah, so that is helpful to understand the difference between those, how they show up and when kids are diagnosed and how you can support them. So we've kind of got that. And as we're talking about perimenopause and menopause, there can be that struggle of understanding how to best support your partner if they have ADHD or mm-hmm. if you are the partner with ADHD, what do you do to feel supported and how do you feel, how does it, inter- how does it interact with your sex life and your relationships?
1: Absolutely. And I de- I want to talk about that, but give me just one minute to, to add just a little bit to what you were saying about yes, kids. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I forgot to mention, which is silly, but it's one of the, er- one of the most critical pieces of, especially hyperactive ADHD, is impulsivity. So you can imagine how impulsivity plays out in our lives. I mean, we will blurt things out. We will say things that are totally honest, but maybe hurtful to other people, which is one reason we, not just kids, but even adults have trouble keeping friendships and even keeping jobs because we will sass back, if you will. But that also plays out in sexuality to kind of tie into what you were just asking about is that often, um, we have a lot of unplanned pregnancies with ADHD because it's like, no, no, it feels good. Remember, we want the the thing that we're missing most for ADHD is dopamine. And that's that pleasure piece. It's like, and you get lots of dopamine when you have sex. You have lots of dopamine when you gamble. You have lots of dopamine when you do lots of addictive things and all those, even shopping. Oh, I get that dopamine hit kind of thing. So unplanned pregnancies are rampant in, in ADHD. I've done a survey. And in fact, everyone can go to my website, addiva.net, and it there's a survey. And this is specifically for women, not necessarily for men, but it has a lot of questions and one of the questions was, have you had unplanned pregnancies? About 50% of the women that I surveyed have had unplanned pregnancies. And I also ask about termination. We won't go into there right now because that's a pretty hot topic right now. Well, so we won't talk about today, that. Yay, since it is election day, but yes. Yes, especially so, today. Yes. Yeah. But I also want to mention though, that unplanned pregnancies also don't, that doesn't necessarily mean that you raise that child. So a lot of kiddos who are adopted come from ADHD moms and or dads because of the impulsivity. So if you have a kiddo you adopted, he or she or they may well be have an ADHD background because of the impulsivity about the way they were conceived. Not necessarily.
0: my (laughs) My mind is blown. All these connections. Sorry, Linda, go ahead.
1: That's okay. What else was I going to say? I was going to say, oh, you mentioned something about sitting in in the classroom. We have, this is the industrial age version of education, right? We are sitting in neat little rows and we're going to sit there all day and I'm going to lecture to you and I'm going to tell you, and not all schools do this, but most of them do are still following that traditional pattern. And that is terrible. It's kryptonite for ADHD brains. We need to get up and move. So if you stand beside your desk, you're going to be disrupting the rest of the class. So the teacher is generally not going to let you do that. In a more enlightened school, they will have little pods where kids can move from one place to another. But the older you get, the you are changing classes. But that's even more difficult for ADHD because instead of sitting in the same room, in the same desk, in the same chair, sitting by the same person all the time, so it's consistent. You have now, oh, I'm going to get up and I have to remember to take my books with me. I have to remember what my homework is in this class versus that class, on and on and on and on. So the older we get, the more difficult it becomes and generally parents, whether they have ADHD or not, if they have an ADHD kiddo, and you, we're working hard to support them. We're trying to help make sure that their homework does get turned in on time. We're trying to help them get to sleep at, t- at night. And then one more thing I will say about that, teenagers tend to sleep, go to bed late, get up early. But ADHD teenagers, the studies show that ADHD averages 90 minutes later to bed than any than non-ADHD people. Which means that we have, there's something called a sleep phase dysphoria. So we, so it, it goes along with ADHD. And almost everyone I know goes to bed late, sometimes as late as two or three or four o'clock in the morning, and then get up really late in the day. So it's not unusual. And yes, it does go along with teenage, but and it certainly was true for me. But I mean, college, I pulled all nighters all the time. Oh, yeah. Back, but back to exercise. Exercise is one of the things that works. In addition to or instead of medication, that really gets all the connections. You get more oxygen to your brain. It gets all those little neural connections working really well. So it's really not okay, for instance, for some schools to cut out physical education. For ADHD kids, we really, really need that. And even for adults, we need to be moving instead of, you know, vegging out in front of the sofa and, and on the couch and, you know, binge watching Netflix or whatever we're doing. So let's come back to then. And oh, of course, coaching. And, um, one more quick thing is that traditional talk therapy is usually not so effective to work with ADHD symptoms. It certainly works with other things like depression and anxiety, which may be caused by or in combination with ADHD. But coaching or what they call CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, which is similar to coaching, um, can help with, let's see if we can set up a routine for in the morning, because I'm always late to work. Or I'm, my kiddo is always late getting out the door to get to school. How can we set up something? And I just have to share this brilliant idea that this little girl came up with once upon a time. She was having trouble. She couldn't remember what she was supposed to do in the morning. and I think she might've been about eight or seven or eight, something like that. So her mom's and, and the, her coach, her ADHD coach said, well, how can you remember where, what you have to do next? And the little girl said, well, I want to put arrows on the floor so it'll tell me which way to go. So they put tape on the floor with arrows pointing. When she got out of bed, it took her to the bathroom. And then there was a little car that said, this is where you brush your teeth or whatever she was doing. And then there was an arrow that took her over to her closet. And there was an arrow that took her into the kitchen for the breakfast. And so- Those kind of strategies, we think outside the box. And this little girl was brilliant about thinking outside the box. On the other hand, her coach admitted that more than once, she's actually picked up the toothpaste and tried to wash her hair with it. So, you know, (laughs) it goes all over the place. Sexually speaking, for couples, ADHD can be difficult. And the reason, one of the reasons is that if you, sometimes ADHD folks marry each other. Because, ooh, you get me, right? That kind of thing. But often what their ADHD manifests a little bit differently. One may be spontaneous, anything goes, let's go here, let's do this. And the other one may be a little bit more controlled. And even in an ADHD plus non-ADHD marriage, one person, like one sometimes I married a man who's OCD, which is you know, obsessive compulsive, like he has to have everything neat, 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 neat. Fortunately for me, he can ignore my stuff and he can work on top of my mess, which is great. Not all, not always true, however, but sometimes we marry what we need, right? We're going to fill that hole in our soul, right? So let's say that an ADHD person who's really spontaneous and disorganized and kind of messy, and but has great ideas and is so much fun to be with, marry someone who is very rigid, but attracted to that spontaneity because that's something they don't have, right? What happens often is we go through our relationships. After that, I think at two years, they say the lust finally wears off. We get down to the reality of our marriage or relationship. What happens is that the non-ADHD partner is getting really ticked off because you didn't take out the trash. You said you were going to take out the trash. Now we have to wait till next day. Now I have to do everything. So we end up with a parent-child dynamic in a marriage, which is not good for either one of them. Mm -hmm. Both partners are pissed off all the time. How come you're always picking on me all the time? Well, you didn't put things away and I thought you were going to do this just and you didn't get to school on time and all that stuff is going on. And both of them feel very entitled to that combination of you're you're attack, you know, you're letting me down and no, you're letting me down, that kind of thing. So there's blame to go around for everyone. It's difficult to kind of pull that back together. And that's one reason I think I mentioned to you that I'm going to, I'm hosting the ADHD couples palooza coming up in December. And we have a dozen experts talking about how they work with their relationships and how they work with their clients as well. So it, for me, it all comes down to communication. And, but it's hard to break those patterns once they become set. You know, it feels like concrete that you're trying to break apart. So when we, my husband and I do coaching for for couples, we call it sailing the seven C's, the letter C to a great ADHD relationship. And the very first one is about commitment. Do you really want to be together? And a lot of, there are many more divorces among ADHD couples, whether they're mixed ADHD plus non ADHD or whether they're both ADHD. And that, that's, it rings, unfortunately, rings true for a lot of folks with undiagnosed and sometimes diagnosed mental illnesses and mental condi- disorders, et cetera. So one of the things that you mentioned when we first talked was about sexuality and I think that's where your kind of your your focus is. ADHD when when we have this parent child dynamic going on, really difficult to have a satisfying sex life. That is not sexy. It is not sex, not Mm -hmm. at all. Who wants to sleep with their father or their mother? Or that's just not okay. Plus there's all these, a lot of built up resentment and one, one may be a little more sexual than the other and say, well, I really want sex. And the other one will say, but I don't, I don't even want to be around you, let alone get in bed with you and be intimate in the most, in the most intimate way. The other thing is that, uh, remember that often ADHD folks will stay up later. So let me just take my example. My husband goes to bed at 10 o'clock every night, every night. This is a rule. As I say, OCD, 10 o'clock, time to go to bed. I stay up later. He'll go to bed. I'm going to bed and I'll say, oh, I'll be up in 10 minutes. And he just snickers. (laughs) He knows I'm not going to be up in 10 minutes. My house, too. That's so funny. He's lived with me for 30 years. He's not going to do that. He knows I'm not going to do that. So, that's another issue is that ADHD couples have to make a commitment to go to bed. I mean, you can go to bed, have sex, and then get up and go down and get on Instagram again if you want to. It, you just have to make an appointment to make sure that it really does happen. And And the the last thing I want to say about that before I you know, let you ask questions about it and we can expand a little bit more. Women with ADHD sometimes have trouble coming to orgasm. And the reason is because their brain is distracting them. You know, they're in the middle of this intimate moment and all of a sudden they hear the refrigerator click on and then all of a sudden they're thinking, oh, I should have cleaned out the refrigerator. And oh my gosh, is that meat still going to be good tomorrow? And their brain is just going all over here and, and their partner's like, what happened? You, know, you were here and then suddenly you're not with me at all. And that's very obvious for a lot of times and a lot of cases. That's why I mentioned the doctors who wrote the book Driven to Distraction in my early informa- in, 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 informative years about ADHD. And one of them, Dr. Ned Halliwell, recommends that women, some women take a stimulant medication before they go to bed because it'll let them pay attention during sex. And sometimes people even take stimulant medication just to go to sleep because our brains are buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. They're not letting us calm down and go to sleep. A lot of folks with ADHD end up taking sleeping medication because of that. Not that it's recommended, but it, that's what they have to do to calm their brains down. Right. So, sex, sexual relationships in with ADHD can be very challenging and you add kids into it with ADHD, that's even more challenging. Yes. So believe me, ADHD is not a daylight savings time kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's there 24-7. It's there while you're sleeping. It's mm-hmm. there when you are having sex. It's there when you're having arguments. So blurting out things and arguments, it's there all the time. It's mm-hmm. not something you can say, I'll put it over here on the shelf, and then I'll just put it back on later. It's there all the time. Yeah. And it can be it can be a blessing. It can be a blessing. That hyperactive hyper focus is what lets people get things done. So anyway, I'll be quiet and you tell me what you, what else you'd like to know about that. that.
0: I am happy you were kind of sharing the messages that support all the messages that I do with my coaching, as far as scheduling things, because that is the same. That's the same. That's how it plays out at our house as well he's usually in bed like nine 30 or 10. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be, I'll be up in a little bit and it doesn't happen. So I get like another (laughs) round of like another surge of energy. And that actually last night I sent your email with the link and all of the questions and everything. And, And, you know, I always schedule it for in the morning to go out. So people aren't like, gosh, what is she doing up so late? Because there's that like shame around not fitting the norm of what our society does. We're productive during these times of the day and that sort of thing. So I'm grateful for the scheduling, the ability to schedule emails and the ability to schedule sex, because when we have what I have found in my experience and with the people that I coach is that they are able to like better prepare and thanks to COVID, a lot of us have partners at home now. So being able to say, thirty, does that work for you? Let's have like a little hangout session. And it may or may not lead to an intimate time or having sex. It may just be being able to have like undivided attention, which for some partners is, you know, the non-ADHD partner is longing for that connection when the kids aren't there butting in and just being able to have your mind better prepared. And I used to think that something was wrong too, because I wanted all of the senses, like I wanted the right play mix, or I wanted the right, the music and the lighting and all that stuff. And then something would be off and I'd be like, hold on. And he's just like, okay, is this going to happen? You know? (laughs) And part of that played into the erotic, the erotic blueprints, you know, finding out that I do like all the senses, but also ADHD has a part to play in that as well. So trying to figure out how you can prepare yourself and have that scheduled time because it's a lot sexier than not having it at all. I know some people have a hang up about being intimate at certain times. Like I just want it to be spontaneous and it just doesn't happen if you're just relying on spontaneous as much as ADHD people probably enjoy spontaneous. It just doesn't roll out that way with life. So, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to expand on, but I just love all those those reaffirming
1: messages that good. I need good to, good. good. To well, I I love with. the fact that you mentioned the word shame because shame is huge for ADHD kids and adults. And we are, we often what use what we call the imposter syndrome. You know, we're putting up this nice shiny front out here and then behind it, we're hoping no one go, looks behind the curtain on the Wizard of Oz kind of thing, because we are working. It's like that little duckling. It looks like it's gliding along, but underneath its little feet are going paddle, 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 paddle. We're working really hard all the time. So it's really hard for us to concentrate. And therefore that has a dramatic, dramatic in, in, Emphasis and influence in our sexual relationships, and the other thing that I really wanted to mention, and I'm glad that you mentioned the word, um, ADHD folks tend to have very, very high sensitivity, and that's in all senses of the word. We can our, our feelings get hurt really easily. There's something called rejection sensitive dysphoria. That somebody could just raise an eyebrow and all of a sudden we're crushed, you know, and, we, and we're feeling that way for days. We're ruminating about it for days, but it also has a lot to do with touch. It has to do with light. It has to do with warm temperature. So if you are looking for your partner to, to help accommodate some of those things, let them know. I know that when we've worked with couples, I've, we've heard the refrain over and over. Well, if you really love me, you just know that I love. Me. No, no, they don't know what you like, nor do you probably know what they really like. Just because they're moaning at the right moment doesn't necessarily mean they might be faking it. You just never know. Mm-hmm. So back to communication again, and it's really hard because we've been programmed, as you say, to be think about this as being spontaneous, but if things don't feel good, then you need to talk about it. I shouldn't say you need to. I invite you to talk about it with your partner and to let them know. No, I, that just yesterday that felt really good. Today, ugh, it just bothers me. So things are not always going to be. It's not a recipe. My husband would like it to be. <laughs> let's have rules. He likes rules. But it it shifts. And just know that if you are with someone with ADHD, or if you have ADHD, know that those sensitivities are nothing to be ashamed of and nothing to try to hide, but instead to embrace and just accommodate. Does that make sense?
0: Totally. And I feel like, again, understanding and having more awareness and grace and like, kind of excitement, like, oh, I am more sensual. Because of this, Mm -hmm. like that's another superpower. I feel like I'm more empathic and I connect more. And so now when these experiences that I have, whether it's talking to someone that I really connect with, and we're really having this deep, deep, meaningful conversation, there's this like flow and I'll feel, you know, things because I feel like senses, you know, energetically, I feel that connection. And then also sensually with my husband, it's been a deeper connection, understanding that I have more sensitivity and being able to lean into that instead of trying to just do what he wants is Mm -hmm. way more powerful as far as how that plays out in that connection and that sex life.
1: Absolutely. And you know, what I realized way too late in my first marriage was that I often was in performance mode Mm -hmm. rather than in authenticity. And now in this marriage, which has been wonderful, it's a different experience. And, I, and it's so, m- such more, so much more gratifying. So I encourage all of your listeners to take that advice and to listen to your wisdom as you share it. So thank you. Thank you for what you're doing yes. in the world. It's so important. Yeah.
0: Thank you for all of the offerings you have. So you've got the Couples Palooza. This is a perfect
1: mm-hmm.
0: segue into sharing what that's going to be like and how people can oh, find well- you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You can find that the palo- all the Paloozas at ADHDpalooza.com. It's P-A-L-O-O-Z-A, but I've got all the misspellings too. So don't worry, you'll find it. <laughs> and we have all the recordings. We started the Women's Palooza back in 2016. So we have, and, and those were about 35 people. So we have tons and tons and tons of recordings. In fact, someone, I believe it was in Michigan, just bought everything. She bought all of the recordings for all the couples and the parents and the women's. So there are, and you but you can pick and choose. If you just want to buy one that interests you, you can do that. Our new our next live event will be happening the second weekend in December. I know it's right before the holidays, but it's it's we release we're not giving you too many. That one reason we do it on the weekend is so that you actually might be able to watch some of those things with your partner hopefully and pick and choose the ones that you want to see. So we're starting on Friday night, we'll release two or three on Friday, and then the majority will be released on Saturday. And then we'll also have a few released on Sunday, but then we're going to have a a Sunday afternoon panel. Because for me, it's nice to hear from the experts, but we want to hear from each other. Mm -hmm. How do you do it? I want to hear how does your relationship work, which this is the first year that in my recordings, I'm not just having experts, I'm actually having something I called lived experience with ADHD couples so that we can really hear how did this work in their relationship so in case you can't make it to the live event at least there will be some little sparkles all the way through i think you'll i think you'll find that you'll hear some of the things that i've said already but much more much more expanded and ways to work with adhd and make it Sizzle in your life instead of being kind of a oh it's a damper she can't yeah. ever do it or they can't ever find it etc cetera, etc cetera. so thank you for letting me mention that I appreciate yes, it yes absolutely and then you also do coaching right? I do coach I do you. yes I do I do group coaching and this and remember that I work mostly with women although I do have men I, I talk about very special men I had one I'm coaching one guy now he's probably in his thirties, maybe, maybe, yeah, almost thirties, I guess. And he said, no, I want you. I said, well, you know, I usually work with women. I know, but I want you. I've done my research. I want you. I said, okay. And he's wonderful. I just love him. to be oh. So it's really cool to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, Victor and I, my husband and I have done couples retreats, but now we do them only privately. We used to have several couples come, which was also good, but Victor's not ADHD. I am, so it works well so that we can do couples retreats over a long weekend. But I also do a beach retreat once a year for women. And my coaching spa, kind of going back to coaching, is a group coaching situation, and it's for only for women. And then I also do private coaching, which is where I'm coaching my sole guy for now—not the only one that I've ever coached, but for right now. And it's just so—I think—and you may have this experience as well, but I won't take that from you. I'll let you figure that out. But my my joy is being allowed to witness the transformation that takes place for folks when they just. Look, it, it's like we've been trying to pound against the door, pound it and pound it and pound it. And all of a sudden, we just move three inches to the right. And oh, my gosh, the whole world opens up. And it's not that people are stupid. It's not that people are needy. It's just that they just don't. They, they haven't thought of that in, a, in that particular way. And of course, coaching is not about me telling people what to do. It's about them figuring it out for themselves. Me just asking the right questions for them to go, aha, right now I get it. So that's really cool. To layer do by layer, just peeling
0: mm-hmm. off all the misconceptions and misunderstandings and shame that people put on you. Yeah, well thank you so much, Linda. And if there's anything else that you want to leave us with, you know, I'm thinking if someone is listening and they have an idea, like, I think this might, I think
1: I might have ADHD. Mm -hmm, What mm -hmm. would that look like? Where do they go from here? Oh, thank you for asking that question. Coaches like me cannot diagnose ADHD because I don't have a degree in psychology, nor can someone who has a degree in social work, nor can someone who has a master's degree in anything related to counseling. Doctorates, however, can diagnose. Psychologists can diagnose ADHD. Psychiatrists, of course, can diagnose ADHD. And that can be expensive and often the diagnostic the diagnostic process is not covered by insurance and sometimes it can be thousands of dollars. So there's actually something called ADHDonline.com. dot com. It's not available in in all states in the United States and it's not available outside the United States. But I think that you can get a diagnosis for ADHD for, I don't know, less than two hundred dollars, which is and it is valid. It's that you can take that and in, in, to a doctor and then he, she, they can prescribe and and offer other options for you. So please consider that oh one when i one thing i forgot to mention what, the other person that can diagnose is a nurse practitioner who, and especially one that specializes in psychiatry. Oh, okay. And let me let me also warn you that ADHD is not just doesn't just still have stigma in the general public. It still has some stigma in the medical community as well. So some people, I have tried several therapists, and they say, oh, yes, I work with ADHD clients all the time, and they know very little about ADHD. So please, if you don't find someone, I've also had women say, I was diagnosed with ADHD by this person, now I've moved to a part of the country or a different location, and this person says, this no, it's not ADHD, it's depression, or it's audio pro- auditory processing disorder, or it's something else. So please One of the things that we are tenacious, remember we're tenacious, but we also are easily foiled by too many attempts. So please, if you are in that situation with you or your child or your partner, keep it up because it's worth figuring out and it's worth treating. And it's so, so important. I believe that if we could open unlock the potential that lies dormant in so many ADHD people, we could change the world.
0: I think so so too. That and embracing the perimenopause menopause stage. And I think, you know, just to add to that a little bit, that intuition is so strong and and it is even stronger through that perimenopause stage. So trusting that intuition, don't you think like not stopping using that tenacity to find out what support you need Mm -hmm. is so powerful. So thank you so much, Linda.
1: I'm so glad that I was able. To, we were we able did. to connect. I'm Thank so glad you so much. Right. Missed our first appointment
0: because mm-hmm. today was yes. perfect.
1: It all works out. All right,
0: always. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Share the love by sharing the podcast and share your reviews and comments on the platform you listen to this on. If you'd like to connect with me about coaching workshops or transformative retreats, you can find me at ShannonHammaker.com. That's Shannon H A M as a Mary A K E R. This features music by the band Tinka Tinka and was edited by Natasha Rivera.